We have a, uh, a great opportunity this afternoon to, um, to hear, hear from Ed on uh, some particular um, issues, um, or some particular struggles that, broke, that broken people have in particular, um, struggles with uh, depression, anxiety, uh, anger, those kind of things. So uh, without taking any more of your time, I might just hand over to Ed and uh, we'll get started. Thanks, Ed. for our last time together. And we'll see how far we get. I, I want to approach it this way. Let's, let's introduce f some problems. And let's first see if we can just gather together what, what your extant knowledge is of those problems are and what Scripture has to say. Not that that means we know exactly what we're going to do by any means. But, but at least to just sort of, sort of get some sort of frame of reference. Then let's meet a person and put that to work. And, and of course, and, and we're, we're going to try to do speed... Uh, I was thinking speed dating. Uh, uh, can somebody give me a... Here, we're going to try to look at one person after another real quick. Uh, what's, a better, what's a better one for than speed dating? What's that? Speed lecturing. <laughs> speed lecturing. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's anything other than speed dating. Um, we're just going to take a look at people and... and in, in a short period of time, I'll probably just try to identify perhaps one thing that was especially helpful. And, and, and the last thing I want to do is, is in any way suggest that, that Scripture focuses only on that one thing, but, it's, but to, to see that this sort of one relatively simple thing and how it directs us in these problems, I, I hope it will be very encouraging to you because it, it certainly has been and will be for me. Problem number one. Okay, here we go. Uh, the panic attacks. And this is a good one to speak fast on because uh, there's a certain urgency to it. And uh, if you've ever had a panic attack, it's talking about steroids. It's fears and anxieties and steroids. It's, it's visceral. It's visceral. It's, it's you, you feel it in your, every bean of your body. There's this, there's this sense that there's this threat. Your body's saying there's this threat and it's going to kill you and it is killing you. But you don't know where the threat is, and so, so oftentimes in panic attacks, you just want to be somewhere else other than where you are, as if there's going to be more oxygen in, in another place. That's, that's the short version. There, we can give much more descriptive depth, but that's the short version. Question, what, anything, anything in Scripture that comes to mind? You don't find panic attacks in Scripture, as far as I know. Uh, and yet... We believe that in God's care for those who are hurting, he speaks to the very heart of someone who's struggling with a panic attack. So, so let's, let's throw a few things together. One is that panic attacks, we are guessing, are, are sort of these... Sometimes I think about it in terms of earthquakes. There's, there are these... The, you know, the, the tectonic plates, they're always rubbing against each other. The fears and anxieties of life, they're always present. And sometimes they're a bit under the surface. Sometimes we, we feel them. The panic attack is when the, the tectonic plates move dramatically and, and the entire earth moves and it's not quite the same afterwards. In, in other words, it, it seems like a worthwhile time to say, what does God say to fears and anxieties? Uh, it, 
and, and it, just, it just makes sense. Now, I, I should also say that, that oftentimes in somebody's panic attacks, there is no apparent fear and anxiety that precedes it. It's, everything's fine. You're just coming home from work. You're driving in a place that the, the, it's, you're, there, you're, you feel no particular stresses of life. That's why it's, it seems so enigmatic. And it indeed is enigmatic. Why does it come? When does it come? How does that happen? Those are mysteries, and nobody understands those mysteries. But here's, the, here's one of the, the privileges of Scripture. We don't have to understand the details, the biological details and the spiritual details of panic attacks to be able to help one another. That's, the book of Job is the, is the background for that. Why was Job suffering? Job certainly didn't know. <laughs> And he didn't have to know the details of what was, what was going into his suffering to be able to be encouraged by the words of God. So we're thinking probably with somebody who's familiar with panic attacks, hey, let's do this. Let's the two of us get together and, and hear the good words of God to fearful and anxious people. It just makes sense. Related to that, do you believe that fear and anxiety is sinful? If you do, you probably believe panic attacks are in some way sinful. Uh, and and it, 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 it leans in that direction initially because it says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. And that's in a command form. But, but I can remember encountering the do not, don't be anxious passage in the Luke version of it, in Luke chapter 12. And it's don't be anxious. And then it ends up this way. Don't be afraid. There it is, technically the command form. Then it says, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock. In other words, can you hear it? I know that your life is filled with threats. And and, and, and Psalm, Psalm 56, when I am afraid, we will be afraid. We want to trust in him in the midst of our fears. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father is pleased to give you the very kingdom itself. So don't think he's going to be stingy with you now. In, in the time of your, you see what seems to be your most dire need. There, there are a few things that I suspect we could accumulate. We could also ask ourselves, is there any scripture that comes to mind? And, and at this point, we're saying not necessarily for panic, panic attacks in, in particular, but, but fears and anxieties. Matthew chapter 6 might be one. Don't be anxious. And the, the feel of that passage is, it's a very long passage. God, God is saying many words to us, and he's saying, let's go for a walk. Look at creation. You see how our Father cares for those elements of creation. And they're not created in the image of God. They, they would never be called his offspring. How much more you? How much more you? And, and then he goes on and says, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow, in a sense, will worry about itself. Seek first the kingdom of today. And, and by the way, I, I should say in that, by the, in, in, in those words, the good Jew would, would hear scripture open up. Because as soon as somebody says tomorrow, you're, you're, it draws you back to the Exodus where tomorrow, is, you don't have any manna for tomorrow yet. But when tomorrow comes, he'll give you the manna that you need. Uh, so focus on today because that's... That's where the stockpile of manna is that will take you through this day. When you go to bed at night, there won't be any left, but there will be some there fresh manna tomorrow. That's the, the larger context. Here is a person. Uh, I, I wasn't going to do this, but uh, 
the person is me. Okay? The person is me. Uh, around a year, year and a half ago, I had panic attacks. And, and, and of, of the various struggles of human life, do fears and anxieties capture my attention more than some? Yes. Uh, are, 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 do I anticipate that fears and anxieties are going to be a place that I grapple and hopefully grow in for the rest of my life? Absolutely. I, I, there, were, there were these preliminary sort of movements of the tectonic plates, and, and they oftentimes happened at night, and they oftentimes were accompanied by a, 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 like a dream, a story, a waking dream of, 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 of you know, walking in a, just a nice place, and all of a sudden I am trapped, and there's no way out. Or, or like in a cave where you can't get back, and now you have to go through this skinny little place you might get stuck there forever, <laughs> or, or 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 being being submerged and, and drowning. So these were you know just little, the little initial shocks. Then the big one came, and the big one I can't even remember the details of the big one, but it, it was such that it was like being woken up with smelling salts, and I knew at that moment that life as I knew it had changed, and there was no sense going back to bed. So I, I just stayed up you know, stayed up that night, and and I had a pretty good sense that. This earthquake wasn't done, and indeed, it, it wasn't. There were, there were a number of really very powerful aftershocks after that. All kinds of details that I could give you. I'm just going to give you one. And I woke up at night, and your mind tries to, you're just trying to, you know, desperately you grab hold of some kind of scripture. And, and, and I'm hoping to replace this, this sort of haunting image, and that's what it was. It, it was as if I was just taken by this image, and, I, and, and it was this death image, and I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. And so you go to Philippians 4, and you start thinking about, I try to think about those things that are good and true and noble and lovely. And, you know, and as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, remember the passage in Job where Job, there's this little, little part where he says, and, and I take joy in this. That in the midst of unrelenting pain, I did not deny the Holy One. So there was a certain, now this is good. This is good. I, I, see, I see that I belong to God. Because in the midst of, 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 of arguably one of, the most, uh, one, one of the most difficult times of my life, it, I was able to turn to the Lord. Two days later, the... The Spirit went deeper on this. And I'm just going to give you one thing. And, and, and there are so many things we could say to panic attacks, but, but it was this. It should sound very familiar by the end of the day. The Lord said, speak to me from your heart. The Scripture said, speak to me from your heart. In other words, the, the initial panic attack, it was, I was trying to do the right thing. I was using Scripture, but there was nothing personal in that. There wasn't... Me speaking to the Lord and from my heart and, and hearing what he said in return. So this is, this is just one thing that has stuck with me and, and, and hopefully could, could never be erased. Two days later, it was, oh, Lord, this is, this, is really, this is really hard. And, and it... it I feel like I'm going to die. I feel like, in some ways, I, I feel like I, I'm losing. I don't have quite the control over my mind that I thought I once did. 
and, and, I, and I feel like I should be okay with dying. And I guess maybe in some way that I am, but I don't want to die that way. <laughs> you know, I want to die... I want to die a nice little heart attack in my sleep um, after having a, having, a, having a nice dinner. Um, my wife by my side and on and on. Uh, um, and and, and I, I know you don't promise that, but you do. Here's, here's what I know. Here's, here's the back and forth. I know that you promise grace. See, right now I can't imagine, can't imagine dying in the way that this vision this seems to be possessing me at times. And the, and the truth is, I'm, since I'm not dying that way, I don't have the grace to deal with it. I actually have the grace to deal with like life now as we know it. Okay? What does it mean to work? To the, you know, it, what does it mean to love the people who are around you? I have, I have the grace to do that. And So Lord, here's what I know, that if indeed I'm called to that kind of death, you'll give me grace that, that I will be stunning to allow me to, dr- to die as a person who trusts in you <laughs> rather, than, rather than forgets you. So it's, that was it. It's speaking to my heart from the Lord. This is really, really hard. And uncle, help. I, I have no idea what to do. Here's what we anticipate in our sufferings that... that um, that you know, C.S. Lewis's kind of idea that that in the midst of the good things of life, the Lord continues to grow us, but it's those hard things where it seems like we really shoot ahead. It's, it's the hard things that 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 as we turn to Christ in the midst of them, that's when it's God's megaphone to us, just arousing us and and taking us further into the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the suffering servant, the knowledge of the one who is with us. And he will give us grace as, as we need it. So many other details. I, the, the last thing, since we're doing speed lecturing uh, or, or sort of moderate lecturing, uh, there, there, there's so many other details. Please don't think this is simplistic, but just be encouraged that there's, there's just with simple things, there's, there's a direction for people with panic attacks. And also please recognize that the world doesn't have a clue what to do with panic attacks except throw medication, which, which if you're having panic attacks, medication that slows them down, that quiets them is a really fine thing. But we all know that it, 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 there's still the tectonic plates that are in there doing something, and are there ways we can, we can go a bit deeper? Second person. I, could, I, I actually could give you illustrations of myself for all these, but I think that's the last one I'll inflict on you because I'm now going to talk about an angry person. Uh, and... What do you think about anger? Initial directions from, from Scripture on anger. Here is here's a very important one. Angry people are the stupidest people ever. They are just, they're just deaf and dumb and blind. It is, all sin is, is stupidity. It is, and in some ways, I'm sort of using a, a technical background. It's called the noetic effects of sin. It, you find it in some theology books, but it really just means sin makes you really stupid. Uh, and uh, it, you, you do things that are just bad for other people and bad for you. And they're just foolish to see, but you think you're being actually pretty smart. The, the angry person is completely blind to their anger. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to help this person? 
I knew that I was having fears and anxieties. I, I, I knew I had a panic attack. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it was very evident to me, and I needed help. But the angry person does not need help. And the more angry the angry person is, the more persuaded they are that you are the one who needs help. Because anger, by its very nature, is, I'm right. <laughs> I'm right. And, and my desires are right. And, and you interfering with my desires, my kingly desires, which I have... Which, which, how dare you do such a thing? You are the one who's wrong. And if there's anybody who's stupid here, it's, it's you. That's, that is embedded in the very nature of anger, and that is really scary. And, and you can see why, we, as, we, as we amass just some insight from Scripture, it should also drive us to prayer. Because there are no words that are going to magically, oh, Oh, now I see, I'm, so, so, I'm so sorry. Now I see my, there are no words that will do such a thing because the angry person, if they specialize in anger, they are deaf and they are dumb and they are blind and they are killing people day after day after day and it is a tragedy. That's one thing we know for certain. What else would we know? They're wrong and it is, and it is a diabolic wrong. Lying and murder tend to be highlighted as, 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 as two key features of Satan's character. And that's why when we, li- when we lie to one another, we, there, it, 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 it is arresting. <laughs> it's, it's not just, oh, I'm so sorry. It is, it is temporarily indulging in a very different language that is against God. Likewise, as, as Jesus enlarges the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't, don't murder. We all say, well, that's good. I can pass on that one because I suspect most of us have not actually literally killed somebody. Uh, though some of us perhaps have. And uh, if you're an American, well, yeah, um, uh, but, but then Jesus, Jesus does in his own inimitable way. Let's think about this a little bit more. And he, and he expands the law back to its original contours. And its original contours are gotcha. <laughs> it, it, until, until it gets all of us. Do you... Ever been critical? You ever been frustrated? Ever been muttering under your breath against another person? On and on and on. It's anger in your own soul. It's all. It just has different variations on the theme, which is, by the way, a nice starting point because because sometimes you want to kill the angry person uh, because you've seen who they've killed, and and humility reminds you that that you can be just as stupid, <laughs> and it's only the grace of God that allows you to see anything remotely clearly. Take a look at Jesus in Scripture, his anger. We'll get to that in a second. And, th- and then the question, do you have, any, do you have any favorite Scripture on anger? You don't have to. But as, as, we, as, as we grow in knowing people and knowing Scripture, we find we are angry. Uh, we find other people are angry, so we begin to look through Scripture. How does Scripture speak? I suspect, I suspect if we would poll those of you who are thinking about Scripture right now, most of us would probably be thinking about something like James chapter 4. James chapter 4, in one stop, is just a magnificent section on anger. And it, it's, here's James. James is New Testament wisdom. It's like the book of Proverbs. You know, now, now he's, he's, he's saying, here are the key issues. Watch your tongue. And by the way, here it is. We, are, we can be angry people and destructive people. And he spends, he spends an inordinate amount of time in a short letter on this particular issue because he knows he knows how he knows how divisive it can be, how opposed to unity it can be. So just real briefly, just some of the some of that passage as you know it. 
what causes fights and quarrels among you? It comes because other people get in your way when, when they shouldn't get in your way. They're a nuisance. Or it comes from your desires that battle within you. You want something. You don't get it. You kill. You covet. can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. Here's the nature of the angry person. They're, they're a complete, thoroughgoing atheist at that particular moment. In the, in the midst of their anger, there is no God as far as they, they're concerned. They, be, they may be members in good standing at your church, but at that particular moment, they are God. And why would you bother turning to God when you are God? Why bother turning to God when you're not desperate? You know exactly what's going on, and it's their problem. Because you don't ask God. Anger people don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive. You ask with wrong no- motives. And, and follow the passage a little bit more. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred, hatred toward God? You adulterous people. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. This is very sobering, isn't it? Really, very sobering. But, but, but listen to this. It's a, it's a, it's a curious passage. Do you think without reason the spirit he caused to live within us envies intensely? It's, it seems cryptic, and you just sort of fly right by it. But please recognize that in Hebrew thought, you're, you're not looking for the conclusion. You're ten, you tend to be looking for the center uh, of, of a Hebrew idea, because the center tends to be the most important thing. That everything is sort of, it's, it has that, it's all focusing here. When you look at James' thought on, on anger, this particular section, here's the middle. And the middle is Lord saying, you adulterous people, and please come back because you're mine. And I am jealous because, because, because you have gone off to another, and, and I've bought you with a price. There's something really very, very precious, even in the midst of saying adulterous people, haters of, of God. There's this, there's this, there's this wooing. That, that the Lord has. 43-year-old man who, just an ordinary guy, and, and um, he comes to your house, and, and he, they want to talk about their marriage. The two of them come over for dinner, and, and, and when, once they enter into the house, they are at war. Or should I say he is at war, and he is just simply pummeling her. And, and the war began because because she suggested he turn right to come to our house, and he thought he should go straight. And he was incensed that she would somehow disagree with him. And, and so, so 15 minutes later, they're in my house, and here is a man who is a true, utter lunatic. He is an animal. He's an animal, and, and here's evidence of being an animal. What's, what's, what, what happened? And he goes on and says how wretchedly horrible his wife is. And I'm thinking, What? <laughs> She suggested there's another way to go. That's wretchedly horrible. What are you talking about? And, 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 and he goes on and on and on. It's, you are the most angry man perhaps I've ever seen. And, and I'll tell you what, I have, I have no idea what it would be like to be your wife, but, but I know you're killing her right now. But that should get somebody's attention, you would think. And... And, 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 and it's as if I said nothing. He just goes on and on. This is a wretched wife. This is the stuff she does. All, it happens all the time. Every, she's always disagreeing with me. She never comes along with me. She never agrees. She never encourages. It's, 
You're killing her. Hold it. You're killing her. And it doesn't matter. That's, that's an animal. That's, it, 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 it's a brute beast, an animal you're not expecting to understand words and respond in repentance. But you like to think a human would, and he didn't. So what do you do? You so talked him over a, a somewhat disrupted dinner and try to pray. It's completely irrelevant. He goes home angry. And you know you're, you're, you're sending them back together. And your heart just aches for this woman, knowing that you have just seen, you've seen life as it naturally exists in their home. You didn't just find one little sort of stray episode. That's life in their home. What do you do? Everything I said was irrelevant to him. But, but he wanted to come over and, and, and he's still willing to talk. So, how are you doing? Next time we say, how are you doing? Okay. Things, things are tense. There, there is tension in your life and in your relationship. How are you doing? We had a men's group one time, and he was at the men's group, and he asked if we'd go for a walk. We went for a walk. And I have no idea how this all came about, but he just didn't have many people who cared about him. You know, angry men, they tend to keep other people at bay, and, and I was at least moving toward him. So, so, so join me. And, and in the walk, he began to talk about things that were hard in his life. Hard. He talked about a father who, who, who he could never capture the attention of his father. He always felt as if his father was turned away from him throughout his entire life. It doesn't explain his anger. It certainly doesn't justify his anger. But it's important all the same. You can have compassion for someone who's also a sinner. They're not mutually exclusive categories. And you're moved by his story. And how are you doing? By the way, thanks for sharing that stuff with your dad. Um, and... Uh, I, how do we pray? How do we pray given that? And, and, and how does that work its way out in your relationship with your wife? Just, what do we do? We, it's, it's that, how are you doing? It, it's the emotions of life. And, and, and wasn't able to get to the, the dimensions of the morality of anger. One day he called. and said, could we get together? I have no, how does this happen? Who knows? I guess it happens because I was moving toward him and I was in his life and I, he was on my heart. He truly was on my heart. And, and he said, I, I want to deal with my anger and my relationship with my wife. What do you do? You, you take your shoes off and you say, this is holy ground. How did this happen? This is, this is the very power of God. Now, if you would know him, if you didn't know the details of his life, you'd just say, oh, there he is, and he's the same guy this week. And that. But if you know him, if you know those details, you, you're stunned. You're just absolutely stunned that the Lord takes somebody who was once a human, became an animal. He makes them a true human again, and even a human in whom you can see Christ. And so we got together, and he is, there was this sense that I deserve these things. I have a right to these things from my wife. And how do you break through that? All eyes on Christ. When in doubt, you move to Jesus. And the way we moved to Jesus was simply, let's look at Jesus and his anger. In fact, he was the one who invited it. He, he, he said one time, it, it's Jesus, even Jesus was angry. Now that's, that's dangerous. For an angry person to give a little bit of latitude to their anger 
It's all you need to do is have the door squeak open just a little bit, and off they go, and nothing's changed. And, and in, well, he, he, Jesus, sometimes Jesus is, is, it's his divinity that is on display, and, and, and we can't, we, that, that, that's not what we do, because he, he is God. Uh, so maybe he was angry, but, but that's not our jurisdiction. And then you will look at Jesus, what you find is this. It's very, very clear. How many episodes in Scripture is Jesus angry? One, two, three, five or so, six, maybe, depending on how you're counting. And, and they were always when, when someone he loved, those he loved, were being violated. When little children were being kept from him, that's when he'd get angry. When his father's house was being violated, that's when he would become angry. When it was about him, when he was reviled, when he was spit on, when he was tested by, by arrogant people who were testing God, he never, never got angry. We can say many things, but that's what captured his attention. <laughs> that as we look to the man, all eyes on Christ, the one who truly had a right to be angry because he is God himself. And, and for his wrath to be unleashed is, is certainly understandable. Never, ever angry because of what was done to him. It, he cared about scripture, and, and it caught him. It, it awakened him. And now our, our times are very different. Here's our goal. Our goal. It's, it's, you're that angry murder. How dare you do that to your wife? And as you walk along with somebody, isn't it, doesn't it, we're in this together. <laughs> now our goal, and in, in, in my besetting sin doesn't tend to be anger. I'm not a yeller and a screamer, but we're, it, scripture identifies all of us in this larger category. Our goal is to have a zero tolerance for anger. Our goal is to be vicious. You know, it's the Matthew 11 passage. The kingdom advances different ways. Scripture says it can be translated different ways. The scripture advances violently, and it's the violent people who hold on to it. Uh, It's a a challenging passage, but could we say we want to be violent? We want to be violent in the way we do battle with our own sin. Soon before we left for, for Australia. Zero tolerance, my friend. How are you doing? How are you doing? And he spoke of a time when his wife raised an issue. And he would normally have just plain exploded for, for days. First erupted in anger, in destructive anger. He never hit her. And then, then destructive silence, which is, which is worse. I don't know. They're both, they're, they're both equally bad. But, but sometimes I think anger at least acknowledges that you're there. You know, silence is saying, it almost has that I don't even know you kind of thing. I don't even want to be moved and affected by you. Situation that normally could trigger his anger. He, he asked a question of his wife. Help me to understand right now. <laughs> I don't want to jump to conclusions. Help me to understand. Typically to ask, oh, by the way, put it this way. Anger never engages. See, anger is always right. And, and to ask a question, by definition, that person is not angry. <laughs> he's, he's asking for help. Help me to understand, honey, what's happening right now? It's that, that is imitating the anger of God. 
and, and, and I'm thinking of some Old Testament stories here, where God is indeed anger, but he should, have, he should use a different, Scripture should use a different word for it, because it's not anger as we know it. it it's, it's Moses, leave me alone, and leave me to my anger. And, and Moses says, I'm, I'm not going to leave you alone. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, and, and he appeals to the Lord. You can't, you can't, you can't leave us. You, you can't abandon us. We're your people. What are the nations going to say? Oh, this is what their God does. He gets a little ticked off, and, and off he goes. He goes in his little snit. And, and the Lord says, all right, I'll go with you. <laughs> and, and then a little bit later, he says, I'm going to send my angel with you. Because if I go with you, it might be scary. Um, and, and Moses says, uh-uh, no way. You're not, you, you see what I'm saying? Angry people do not invite a conversation. And here God is angry, but Moses gets him. And, and, and it's, it's almost as if he's saying, talk to me, Moses. Now more than ever, talk to me, talk to me. That's, that is, that's not anger. It's a, it's a different word. It's, I don't know. And he, he asked a question of his wife. What do you do? You, once again, you take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. You roast the fatted calf. You have a huge celebration because, because someone who was far away and once living among the, the pigs is now, is now in his right mind. And there's so much more we could say. The problem of shame is, on one hand, it's a universal problem. On the other hand, it tends to hide. Nobody wants to talk about shame. That's just the nature. You, you, you don't want to be seen by other people. And, 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 and at least in the American churches, the closest you hear about shame is when you hear about justification by faith. We're wrong. And, and Christ, Christ somehow, as we, as we share in him, we share in his rightness and his righteousness. Well, that, to a person who struggles with shame, I guess that's better than nothing. But it, it goes something like this. You, you feel incredibly dirty. And let's think of shame especially as what has been done to you, not simply what, you, what you've done. And, and you go into the courtroom, and, and, and you're pronounced right by faith in Christ. And then you leave the courtroom, and you look just like you did before. You're all disgusting. <laughs> your, 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 your garments remain soiled because it had nothing to do with your own sin and forgiveness of sins. It was the sin of another person. It's a bit trickier. And it just so happens that it's everywhere in the church. This is moderate lecturing, not speed lecturing. But, but I, I, I can remember one time talking about shame with a class. And, and I, I ventured a, a story of shame in my own life from that week, which is a little bit risky. And, and so I said, how many of you struggle with shame but how many of you struggle with it in a way that it's, it's it, like visceral? It's, it's palpable. It's apparent to you. It's like it's, it's in front of you. And here's a group of students, probably around this size, and, 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 and mature, wise people. And almost every single person stood up. Almost every person. Shame is part of the human condition. It just so happens that, that shame is is so central to the heart of God. How can we be covered? How can, how can, how can we somehow be rid of our disgrace? That's, that's the question that Scripture has, and the story of the gospel takes aim at that question. A, a woman who 
who would, she would be called anorectic. She's around 33 years old. She, she, she comes to our house. She has dinner because, you know, we just want to, how can we have a meal with her? She fills up her plate, and then she opens up her napkin. You call it a napkin? You sh- serviette. She opens up her serviette, and she, she covers her plate with her serviette. As if, as if nobody can see that she didn't take a bite. And meanwhile, you know, somebody has to do the dishes. Somebody has to clear the table, and it's not going to be her. Um, she, one day we saw her, and she, she had this horrible black eye. And this is what happened. She, she said, you know, just, I, uh, I got up in the middle of the night, and I, I slipped and fell, and you know, my eye hit the night table. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, and around a, a couple months later, we, we found out the real story. And some of you probably al- already can anticipate this. Here's a woman filled with shame. Anorexia, shame, they tend to go together along with all kinds of other things. And, and um, I am a wretched person. And, and, her, and her wretchedness was, was basically she was, she was voicing the words of other people. You are a wretched person. How di- that's, that's what she heard for so many years of her life from so many people. Well, so many important people like parents. I'm bad, she says. I'm bad. I'm bad. That's her black eye. I, I can't imagine such a thing. But she's such a wretched person. She deserves to be beaten. There was nobody available to beat her at that time. So she beats herself. And, and it, it, it changes the subject, frankly. Where shame, it looks like it's disappeared for a moment. Because now you got the pain and, and there's something satisfying about not having shame intrude for a moment. But, but when the pain disappears, the shame just starts encroaching again. So you pray. How do you? It's, here's a woman who does not want you to get in her heart because it's real ugly to her. And she doesn't want the ugliness to be seen by other people. And, and also, she's, there's a certain altruism in this. She doesn't want you to get in her heart because she's a little bit concerned that you're going to get all disgusting as well if you get in there with her. And she wants to spare you being disgusting by association, by your connection with her. You're going to somehow share in her disgust and loathsomeness. She wants to, she wants to keep you from that. So many ways to go. But you pray. You you pray that, that you'd be able to move just a little bit so you continue to have a relationship with her. And, and then you get an email from her. In the United States, old people, they do email. Uh, yeah, there's other ways of communicating, I realize, but, but that's, that's what we do. And, and I know they're more efficient forms. And she emails, and, and she simply says, I want help. I want help. My entire life has been covering up and lying and lying to other people and then she had this, this wonderful insight when you lie to other people it's, it's a whole system and you can't just lie to other people and tell the truth to yourself pretty soon you start believing the lies <laughs> and that's what she said she said I, I, I tell lies to other people and, and now I, I don't even know right from wrong I don't, I don't even know when I'm telling the truth and when I'm not telling the truth help 
take your shoes off, you're on holy ground, get the fatted pig out, and you, you roast it, and you have a big party, invite everybody else, but she's probably not going to eat a thing, uh, which, is, which is fine at that particular moment. Because, see, we, have, we, we, we believe there's such a thing as progressive sanctification. And, and if you're a perfectionist where you're either wrong and you have to be right, then you're just a little bit you're trying to be patient with the person until they get their act together. But if you believe that sanctification is progressive, where it's a step forward, a little, a little you know, inching back, it's another step forward, and, and something that happens over time, she, she is not fully perfected. But progressive sanctification means you can see the good in somebody, even if their life is not perfect, even if they're just like you. And, and for her to say, help, is there anything much grander than that? Because, because it's all part of a whole network. It's... If she's saying help to you, she either has already said help to the Lord or she's that close to it. They go together. If somebody's saying help to the Lord, most likely they're going to be able to say help to you. So what do you do? You've just seen some glory. You just say welcome. Welcome to to the table. This is is sort of the stuff we do. We, We speak openly to one another. Now here's your task, to to speak openly to the God who has called you, who has beseeched you to speak from your heart to him. And the rules are, all you got to do is speak from your heart. If, if there's any other rule, no, you're speaking to God. And, and he's the God who, the, how does it go? The, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's what he says to really wretched, idolatrous people. Uh, the gracious, that's the cutting edge, the gracious and compassionate God. All you got to do is know that that's who you're speaking with. And, and she's not ready to pray. That's okay. Well, you, know, you know how to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for working in my sister the desire to ask for help. Give her grace to speak to you. Because it's one thing to, to, to ask for help from a, like, a, like a regular old human being who's a bit of a jerk. It's, it's another thing to ask for help of the Holy One. And, and our shame tends to be accentuated in, in some situations like that. And three or four weeks later, it's, she, um, let's pray. Would, would you like to pray? And she prays. And it's just, I can't even imitate it. It was it's just the most beautiful thing. Like it seemed like the first words anybody ever spoke until when she ever spoke to the Lord. It was it was thank you. It was thank you for for the people around me who care for me. Thank you for your patience toward me. Thank you for thank you for being being persistent, sort of being toward me, even even when I tried to run away. And help. And it's, and off we go. There are all kinds of things that scripture offers to a person who struggles with anorexia or anorexia and bulimia. And we're just identifying one. But we are also identifying one that is so central to that particular struggle. And, and please realize, and this is, this is not us trying to say you know, you know, that secular forms of help are, are illegitimate. But we can at least say they're shallow. <laughs> they because they cannot go to these particular depths. They, secular therapies, they don't know that ultimately 
the answer to our souls is a relational answer. Okay. And, and she is beginning to see that. Let me, give you, let me just give you one other. What do you think about depression? Let's just gather a little bit of thoughtfulness on, on depression. Here's what we can say. It really, really hurts. And you know why? Uh, I, I don't either. Nobody knows why. Scripture coming into view? By the way, the Scripture doesn't use the word depression in any of the, in any of the versions that I know. Uh, and, and you can find maybe one or two people who wrestled with depression, maybe, sort of. But that's not going to really give you a whole lot to go on. But the person is hurting. Life is really, really hard. They're suffering. Now what do you see? All of Scripture has just come alive. God's words to those who are in the wilderness, those who are in the sufferings. We, 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 how, how she got into the wilderness, we have no idea. But there are satanic voices in the wilderness, but God himself is present in the wilderness, and in the wilderness it's a community event where we, we come alongside those who are suffering. You see? See what Scripture does? It, you don't need the actual word for Scripture to, to come alive. And you know it really, really hurts. It hurts, in fact, so much that suicide tends to be just an essential link to depression. And, and you're saying, I, I don't think I can, I can live with this kind of pain for another day. It, it's suicide is identifying the intensity of the, the hopelessness and, and the pain. What else? Today might be one thing. Here's what you do in the wilderness. You seek and you receive grace today. And you live today. What does it mean that you're not your own? You're bought with a price today. A, a woman who talked to me. She, she speaks of her depression. She speaks embarrassingly about her depression because she's a very wise woman who has been through all kinds of counseling training. She feels like she should not be depressed. So the fact that she's talking to you is really quite striking. And, and um, tell me more. Tell me more. And she begins to tell you a story of, of a father who is just wonderfully affectionate and attentive. It was she and a brother, a mother who was distant. Her father died when she was 14 after, after two years of, 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 of serious cancer. And, and her mother simply did not like her. Her mother, it was, all, it, was, it was this sense that you have to be here, and if you're not here, I don't know the logic of this, but if, if, you're, if you're here, then somehow I have to demean you, and somehow that's going to get you there. I don't, I don't know how that all works out in the parental mind, but apparently it was clear to the mother. So here's a woman who could never measure up, could never measure up, and you know how these things go. If, if that tends to be a theme in our, in our lives, we tend to impose it on our relationship with the Lord. We tend to, you know, there's a, there is that mask of her mother on the face of God. And so we get together, and what do we do? We, let's know who he really is. Let's know who our God really is. He's not your mother. And, 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 and chances are we're, we're on the right track if he's, if he's the opposite of what we think. If whatever we're thinking, we just go, you know, go upside down backwards, and then we'll be right side up. That's, that's what we're anticipating. 
we talked about weakness in the Apostle Paul. How weakness, like some of the Psalms, Psalm 130 is a, is, a, is a wonderful psalm. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, be attentive to my cry for mercy. And, and the wonderful thing about that particular psalm, like so many other psalms, is the psalmist is not identifying why he's having that particular misery. And then that, he's saying, whatever your misery is, join me. Join, join in with me and, and speak these words to the Lord. Well, well, Paul does something similar. We don't know exactly what a thorn in the flesh is. And, and he's saying, join me as fellow weak people. And, 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 and is it legitimate to say that the depression is at least, we don't know all the details, is at least sort of a kind of weakness that, that we, we feel lame as a result. And let's say, here's, here's our God. He knew weakness. He has a special eye for those who are weak. They're like his people. And... And for some reason, he tends to, tends, to, tends to have his glory be most evidently seen. His strength is most evidently seen in their weakness. So we're talking about depression, but we're trying to allow Scripture to just, just suck in her particular story into the story of God, into the story of Paul, which is the story of Jesus. Two very specific things. Uh, one, which might be interesting, that she, she didn't, didn't take medication. And she didn't take medication, I think, not because of her scruples. It was more she, gets, she got side effects by all kinds of medications. And she didn't take medication. And we talked about this probably for a year together on and off. And, and eventually, because of her family, her, because her, her husband and her children saw her, the, her power and weakness, but they saw the weakness as well. They, they begged her to take medication. And because of Christ, because, because of Christ, she listens to her family, and how can I bless them? And so she ended up taking medication simply as a way to bless her family. And she went from you know, the, the one medication to another. There's, there's a few different classes of antidepressants. She gave all of them a good shot. None of them seemed to be very helpful at all. But it was it's a kind of take-your-shoes-off moment to, to see how she's taking medication. You know, how do we take medication? Most people just take medication. She takes it by faith. She takes it because of Christ. Really, really quite admirable. And, and then perhaps a, a, a symbolic moment that we, that we continue to go back to together was, was when she talked about how she didn't feel worthy to take communion. She just, you know, the, the nature of depression is, is, is everything is bad. You know, everything, there's, you see, no, there, good no longer exists in the universe. And it certainly no longer exists within you. And so she couldn't identify exactly why she shouldn't take, take communion, but she knew she shouldn't. And, and, and then we just sort of summarized so many things we said about the Lord by, with the Heidelberg Catechism. And the Heidelberg Catechism goes something like this. Who, who comes to the Lord's Supper? Those who are displeased with themselves. Those who are displeased. They're the people who come. And she said, I can do that. <laughs> I can be displeased with myself. I can, which is another, the Heidelberg Catechism, it's just a, it's just a very precious way of saying those, those who are hungry and, and needy, those are the ones who come to the Lord's Supper. And I can remember, I can remember the first time she took the Lord's Supper and it was, it was begrudging and it was by faith. I don't want to take this. It, 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 almost a sense of lightning is going to strike me if I, if I take the Lord's Supper. 
but she took it by faith because she believed that God himself had called her to do such thing. And it was just one of those turning points. And, and we, we, we still talk about it. And last time I spoke with her, just, just a week or so before we got here, she, she said, I can't, next week is the Lord's Supper. I can't wait. Okay. I, 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 I feel like I, I, I want to have it every, every week. Okay. To, to have it monthly almost seems like too far. I can't wait to, to have that tangible expression of the feeding that we have received from Christ. And there are many other stories, obviously, that, that all of us could tell. And in each one of those stories, it's, it's knowing the person and content, you know, considering what is it that God says, trying to identify some, something that is good. And in those small things, we see, what do we see? We see life just evolve more and more in a, what seems to be a lifeless soul as, as the word of God through the Spirit takes root. So thank you. Thank you for your willingness to hear of some of my friends. Let me pray. Father, thank you for... For these people, and, and 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 no doubt, all of us have have many of these folks that we've had opportunities to know who have been these extravagant displays of grace in their own weakness. For these particular people, would you continue to be with them? Would you give them grace today? In the name of Christ, Amen. I'll stand here. Folks, uh, the last session today is uh, a Q&A. Um, we've had lots of questions, uh, which is great. Uh, we'll get through as many as, well, Ed will get through as many as he can uh, in the last half hour. Uh, but a little bit of an encouragement for you that um, often a lot of the questions that uh, you have buzzing through your head, and certainly the ones that I had buzzing through my head when I first um, started reading about biblical counselling, a lot of those kind of a part of the journey in a sense of just being on that and discovering it and working out how it connects. So hopefully we get to yours, but we can't guarantee it. So let's, let's get into it, Ed. Um, first one here, walking side by side can be emotionally exhausting when you invest so much in discipleship. How does Ed refresh and continually draw from God instead of retreating back to self again and again? Uh, um, somebody asked me this during the break, and, and I, I said, could you, could you reserve that for all of us? And I think she was thinking I was going to have this incredibly wonderful answer uh, that, that, that was going to be so rich for all of us. But it, it really is. Let me answer it this way. That's a great question, and, and it really is a question probably for all of us. I'll, I'll start. Peter, can I, can I throw it to you too? You, see if you, you can throw it back to me, but maybe I'll throw it to you. after. I'll say a couple of things. The, yeah, you start. The... the, <laughs> you know, the there are, all, there are all kinds of ways we can approach it. I, I think there are, there are two things I tend to find helpful. One is if, if I'm emotionally exhausted walking along with people, it, this, this, this should help a little bit. That's really good, isn't it? It, it, it? it may well mean that you have people on your heart and you're growing in compassion uh, for, for others. You're, you're, you're more and more of a pastor. What is a pastor? A pastor is someone who just has an interest in the long-term care of, of others. So that's one thing. The, the, it, 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 there, there, there can be, you know, the devil can be in the details on this, granted, but, 
But that would typically be our, our way into it. This is a good thing. The, the second thing is, and this is probably, probably what, what the Spirit uses to, to encourage my own soul. Here's this angry guy, and, and that day I hear him, when, when, he, when he identifies how he's asked a question of his wife rather than railed against her, that's a good day, isn't it? There can be all kinds of hard things in that particular day. But you have just seen these, this evidence of glory in a person. We don't change naturally from our anger. And, and to see an angry man become a humble man before his wife, that's a really good day because you see the work of Christ in him, not to mention the fact that you... His wife is no longer being emotionally and verbally battered day after day. That's a, no matter what else happens that day, that's, you sort of go home with a bit of a smile on your face. So, so that would be, I, I find that, that, is, that that's the way the Spirit encourages me more than anything else. And of course, I'm assuming there's Sabbaths and, and things like that, and there's, there's wisdom. We're finite people, and... And we can't have everybody in our heart. It is, it is, it, it, it's, it's wrong. We, it's that's why it's a large body of Christ. But to, but to, but to train yourself to to keep looking for the good, uh, in 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 those who are believers and who are unbelievers, where you have a chance to know the details of their life. Did you want to say anything else on that, Peter, or not? Just really quickly. I mean, my um, in my twenties, I did a spiritual gift survey, and compassion was last. <laughs> Is that yeah. true, really? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And you uh, make a really bad counselor if if you don't. I don't see. I only take I only take tests that tell me good things about myself. <laughs> uh, so you took the wrong test. Look, and be, to be honest, in in uh, the last, I, I, there was just a, a point in time where God gave me a heart for people, and and it bothers me now. Like I could say, I, I could just I could try and help someone, and then at the end of it, I didn't even think about it. But I, part of bearing one another's burden is that it kind of gets into your lifestyle a little bit and it affects your lifestyle a bit and that's probably a sign that you're carrying someone else's burden and um yeah it, it bothers me yeah um and probably just really quickly a, a really key psalm for me which I, i've been just in my own thinking trying to press into because you can talk about self-care but I, I really do feel like there's a care um that comes from the shepherd if that makes sense and it's like I just want to push beyond self-care and work out, you know, look at what I'm doing. I think Ed kind of referred to this, but look at what I'm doing in the context of my relationship with God. Am I trying to save someone? Uh, you know, those kind of things. Uh, and kind of take my cues from him about when I just need to stop and uh, mm. be, in the, be in the one place. A guy, yeah. Zach Swine, talks about, grabbing a hold of the corner of your desk. And when he says that, he says, you just need to make sure that you remember to, to live locally in the one place and to mm. know clearly what God's wanting you to do. And, and if you do that, you'll be able to rest. Yeah, yeah there's a re- I appreciate that. It, it's, it, there's grace for today. Certainly sometimes we can be exhausted as we think what tomorrow is going to be bringing. No, what does it mean to live today? <laughs> what is the grace I have for, for now? I have grace to wash my face before I go to bed kind of thing. Just... Just to be very specific, the other thing, Peter, you're alluding to is, is, is essential to, to the care we receive from Christ is to speak honestly from our heart to the Lord, to rather than try to figure out how can we manage these particular situations, just to, just to speak openly. Thanks. Appreciate your comments. That's good.
the next one, is it ever appropriate for a pastor to confess his struggles with someone in his congregation? Is it ever inappropriate? Uh, I, I, Peter, I'm tempted to throw this back to you and, as well <laughs> because, because he is, Peter is, 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 is way, certainly way beyond me and he's preaching every week uh, as a pastor. Um, I, let me just couch it this way. Pastors, they're aiming to be weak before others, to be weak publicly. That's like the non-negotiable. And, and it can be expressed in simply asking for prayer, for a sermon. It can be expressed as, as the Apostle Paul does. Could you pray for me? Because you know, it, it's sometimes I'm not as bold as I would like to be. Uh, and and I want to I want to be able to speak to neighbors in a different way. That's 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 a little bit farther in, and you're imitating the Apostle Paul in that. But it's 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 not what people are expecting from you. Um, uh, Sherry and I had had a pastor for a number of years. He would ask for prayer to listen to his wife. Now I don't know if you think that's a big thing or a little thing. Uh, it's it's a little thing in the sense that that whenever he would say, here's I asked my wife, how am I doing? She says, you don't listen to me. And then all the men would laugh, uh, not because they were making light of it, because they're saying, yeah, I think my wife could probably say the exact same thing. And, 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 and you, but you see, you, you see that it's one thing to share. He shared a sin, and he legitimately was asking for prayer. It's one thing to, to share a sin where everybody's saying, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then there are other kinds of sins where, what? <laughs> what did you? And so, so there's a certain wisdom in the way we, we share our weakness. The non-negotiable is this is what we do with one another. And, 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 and if it doesn't happen in the life of the pastor, it will limit what's happening within the church. You talk about capacity for really knowing people. What is the reality of the amount or number of people we can really know and care for and still maintain biblical and personal depth? Seven. Next. <laughs> it's, it's true. I, and some of you think, wow, seven, you're pretty impressive. Uh, uh, it's another version of concentric circles that, that there are, how many people are like in the tightest concentric circle? As you think about it, the people you really know well and you walk with them. Hopefully we're thinking there's at least one other person in there. <laughs> if not, we want to invite somebody in. And, and what's, how many people can fit in there? Two? Three? I don't know. Maybe, maybe unusually gifted people? Four? And then there's another concentric circle. The people we don't see every day. It doesn't mean we love them less. It's just we are finite people and we can't be in every place at one time. And are there three, four, five, six there? And then there's another concentric, another concentric. And so, so within, within my various circles, I, don't, I, suspect that I'm, I, I certainly hope there are hundreds of people within my concentric circles who I don't pray about every day. Some people in those concentric circles, I'll see them once a year or once every two years or three years or five years. But it's you know, it, it, seven. That's, that's the answer. So. Thanks. That's what, the first concentric circle and the second one. <laughs> uh, what are the tips for those of us that find deep conversations very costly, i.e. to ensure 
anxieties uh, do not breed our own anxieties. Peter, what, what, what do you think costly could possibly mean with this question? Uh, when I cancel? It's, it's just, it's, just it, it's, it's personally hard because they're, it's, it's not natural to them to, 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 to do those things? Or what, what, what do you think? For me, uh, I didn't write the question, but for me, the, the cost for me is loving someone. Uh, um, th there's almost a, when, when I'm working with someone that's struggling, they're almost working to persuade me that their view is the right kind of view of the world. And especially if someone's um, very depressed, it, it, I, I actually find it a bit of hard work, to be honest, to, to stay loving and hope-filled because you're, by definition, in a place that doesn't have a lot of hope, or the person is, anyway. Uh, and, and, and I might be missing the, 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 the real core of this question, but in light of some of the things you're saying, costly would be, how are you? And when a person speaks about the hard things in his or her life, and and as you try, as you as you say, how can I pray for you? It's like you've just said a foreign language. They don't understand what you're saying, but they have a profession of faith. You ask, you, you talk to them next week. How are you doing? And and there are more things that are hard. In fact, there are more things they're angry about because because other people haven't come through for them. And then you ask them the next week and. And, and, and it's, it's like they're, they're, you're, you're hearing hardness of their life, but you're in hardness and you're, and you're hearing anger. And, and, and it's as if you can't get to Jesus with such a person. That, that can feel, certainly, like a very costly conversation. So the question is, how can we, how can we be certain of the human condition in such a way that there might be times where we say, here is the best thing. Here is the very best thing. I, and again, I might be I might, might be going far afield of the question, but it's it's it's, it's worthwhile. I think all the same. I I was walking along with a woman who struggled with depression, and and she was talking about just some real difficult things, and and I I, I talked to her about something from scripture, and and I, I think it was a fair thing to say. It wasn't all buck up. It wasn't it could be worse. It, it were. It, it, there, were, there were good things from Scripture, and I'm sure I could have taken other things that might have fit a little bit better. But her response was, and please don't think, by the way, that this is characteristic of everybody struggling with depression. I mean, this is just this one woman. She said, why, why, are, why won't anybody listen to me? Here you are, I'm telling you, I'm bearing my soul, and you're going talking about the Bible. And well, what do you say to that? I had, I, I, I had no idea what to say. But, but around four months later, you know, her, her depression would wax and wane. And I, and I said, there, there was a time when we were together where, where I tried to get us to Jesus. And you know what you did? Like you, you were angry. And, and I don't think it was necessarily because I was, I, I was so unloving in the way I did it. Okay. And, and I'm wondering, is there this undercurrent of anger in your life that extends even to God himself. And she, she took that observation to heart. And, and she, she, she began to see indeed that, that, that if we're demonstrating anger toward other people, Lord says it's, it's, it's hatred against God. <laughs> it's being adulterous before the Lord. And, and there's a sweet time of repentance in her soul. But here's, this might be, 
an interesting comment about depression in general. And, and, and it could seem like, it seemed like the, the, the end of the story would be, and she lived happily ever after. And, and she was never depressed again. But the reality is, was, sure enough, she went right back into depression. And, and it, there, there, there are these cycles that are not simply calendar cycles, but it does go up and down. And when she goes down, it's very difficult. And, but this time when she was in depression, on her Facebook page, she said, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? <laughs> That's where in her pr- depression before, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. And there was, there was, there was anger that was mingled with her depression. But, but you see, in, in some ways, that's, that's some of the most beautiful things that we would see in the body of Christ. Where here's a woman, she doesn't turn to Jesus now because everything is, is fine and everything's happily ever after. She continues, she, she turned to Christ in repentance and faith and nothing changed in her suffering. But now she persists. Would you pray for me? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just, just exquisite? So there are times where they feel costly because we never quite get to Jesus, and those can be really hard conversations. It's good. In our church, we have a tendency to call people down the front for prayer at the end of the service. How can we turn this us and them process into an all of us process? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, and I really don't know on this one uh, because we don't tend to do this quite as much. But, but here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that... That, that scripture always surprises us. It always just it, it 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 always defies sort of our expectations. One time, Sherry and I were were on a vacation. And we were reading the Gospel of John together, and so we'd read a chapter at a time. And every every time, it, the Book of John is not like that funny a book, but every chapter we would just be in hysterics. Uh, and, and the reason we were in hysterics because we, we know the book of John and we know how it goes, but when you're reading it, you tend to go a little more slowly. And so as you're going slowly, it's like you, you know, you're sort of in, in the story and you're thinking, yeah, this is what Jesus should do. Get him. You know? uh, or this is what I would do in that situation. You know, he, does, he does something like is completely contrary to your expectations. That's one form of humor. That's where you're, 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 everybody's going this way and all of a sudden the other person goes this way. Oh, well, that's... I guess I'd just suggest that, 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 that Scripture always takes us by surprise. And, and maybe one surprise would be, let's all of us go up front today. <laughs> okay. or, or the pastor is the one, I'm going to go up front today, and, and you're going to pray for me. That doesn't mean you have to do it every week, but it's just, it's just, it's just trying to sort of capture that surprising, you know, taking you off guard nature of Scripture. Any thoughts, sir? It's good. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, in my training at a Christian counseling institute, we were warned of the dangers of losing church members if we cancel them due to uneven relationship, the fact the member feels afterwards that they have shared too much, dual relationships, etc. Can you speak to that, please? Yeah. We, we talked over lunch today a little bit about this particular question, and, 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 and it, I think it is relevant to, to many of us. There's this thing here called dual relationships, and, 
And it, in professional counseling, it's like one of the laws, you don't have dual relationships. The, the law essentially is that, that you can't be in a relationship where you have some sort of power and you can use that power against the other person. And what people are suggesting is when you know something about another person and it's lopsided, they don't know something about you, you can, you can sort of use that against them. <laughs> or you can, you, can, you can maybe even find some sort of financial gain. That's a, it's a really good principle. It's a really good principle. But the, the, the way sometimes that principle is gone is, is if you ever counsel someone, and this is very professional counseling, you're in an office and you have 45 minutes, whatever it might be, when you're counseling someone, basically you can have no contact with them outside of those 45 minutes, zero contact. They're walking down the street, you better walk down the other side of the street. That's the way it is. Well, th- then people began to realize that, hold it, the, this is secular people talking what we say is that, is that your care for a person is probably the most important thing. In, in, if there, anything is helpful in professional counseling, it's not so much the system that you offer, it's the care that you offer in the midst of that system. And here we are talking about caring for people and relationships, and, and <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't the way you do relationships. Something's not quite right here. And, and, and you see that that the professional community has been saying more, just be very wise. Just be very wise as you, as you counsel with other people. Hopefully, hopefully what we've been talking about today, it leads us in a slightly different way. It's, it's, there's a certain symmetry. We are family. That's who we are. <laughs> we're, we're, in a sense, we're trying to, especially as you, as you talked about your model of pastoral care, professional counseling comes real late. <laughs> it's... Everything, everything before that is family. We're, we're in this together. <laughs> and, and, and we are both needy. And, and, and I'm praying for you and you are praying for me. And, 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 and in the midst of that, we, we want to be careful with how we talk about each other to others. <laughs> we want to be wise with those things. We, we, want to, we want to enhance the reputation of the other person uh, before the community rather than disparage it. The, it's the difference between, it's two very different images, if you will. One is a, is, is a professional model where it's you and that other person, and it's highly enclosed. Well, what we recognize is that's, that's not the model we're after. If, it, it, what we're after is, is, is how can, if we're meeting with one other person, we're hoping that other people get involved. <laughs> We want other people to be able to pray, other people to go out for lunch, uh, uh, other people to have them for a meal after, dinner, after church, whatever it might be. We're hoping to enlarge the circle rather than protect that particular circle. That's what families do. Uh, and, 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 and when there is that wisdom in the body of Christ where we are needy people. And by the way, you're not, if you feel more needy than the other person, it's just that you have more insight into your needs. And the person next to you doesn't, doesn't have that kind of spiritual insight. This is who we are, and, and we need each other, and we need Christ. That, that particular style, it, it, tends to, it, it tends to circumvent some of these challenges that are identified in professional counseling. And many other things we could say. It's a great question. It's good. My wife and I are volunteer counsellors with an organisation that works with people affected by abortion and pregnancy difficulties, many of whom are not Christians. 
How would the principles of side-by-side be applied with those who are not side-by-side with us in the gospel? Mm. This is a larger question. How, how do these things, how do we speak to non-Christians about these things rather than, rather than people within the body of Christ? Oh, that's, that's a great question. It's a great question. And, and the, the, the answer is we just do the same things. We, we are always aiming for Jesus. With, with those who follow Jesus, let's pray. <laughs> it's just natural to do that. With those who don't, what do we do? We, we look at them and we know something about them. We know the circumstances of their lives. Uh, and we know some of the very difficult circumstances of their lives. And we know that, 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 that initial sector or that initial layer of their heart, that there have been very hard things that they have experienced and shameful things that, that, that they are struggling with. And we are moved by them. We are affected by, by their suffering. And, and, and it might not be, it, 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 sometimes it depends on the organization. There might be some organizations that don't let you pray. And what, what do you do? You, you're always aiming deeper in. You're always aiming deeper in. And, and you're, you're seeking to, to somehow, with these unveiled faces, re- reflect the glory of God to another person. You're, you're steering them to the right, rather, and, and away from the wrong. Okay? You're steering them to, to love others, rather than withdraw from others. Just normal, normal the standard fare of, of Scripture. That's what you would do if you're in a context where you feel like you can't go farther in. If you're in a context where you have that kind of freedom, then, as we know, uh, uh, the, the unbelieving atheist who didn't want to hear at all about Jesus the day before when there's struggles that are apparent to him or her, all of a sudden they're very open to being prayed for. And it's like, once you pray for a person, then you're really in. <laughs> you have been on my heart. And this is what I've been praying for you for. How are you doing? <laughs> well, this is what, then, uh, this is what I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to pray that, that you would have comfort in, in the midst of that. And I'm going to keep praying it. How are you doing? Uh, it's... It's, it, it's the same thing we do with each other. We might use slightly different words, and the process might be a, a tad slower. Got time for one more. Uh, could you talk about the pluses and minuses of using social media to show your neediness and ask for help from other people? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, so social media email... <laughs> that's the only social media I know. I, I, I know of this thing called Facebook and Twitter, but I've, I've never actually been on it myself or received a tweet or a Twitter, whatever they're called. Uh, but I, the, the, this, the, so this question, it, it's this call to wisdom. And, and it's, it's not just a question. Obviously, it's a question a lot of you have thought about a whole lot more than I have. But it's a question the whole world is thinking about. The whole world is saying, hmm, we can say awfully re- horribly revealing things when we don't see somebody face-to-face. <laughs> uh, things we would not share in face-to-face contact, we, we sh- we're willing to share them with the world. You know, so, so at least you hear secular people saying, what would you share with your mom <laughs> or, or, or your neighbor? That's... That's your guideline for what you, what you, sh- I don't know. I, I, this is, this is, this is way beyond me. Peter, you have to have the last word on this because uh, I know absolutely nothing about social media and I hope I never do. <laughs> oh. 
I might just close, I think. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I'm not sure that uh, sharing that stuff on social media is particularly personal. That's probably what I would say. Yeah. Uh, and it can easily get complicated. The, the, messed the, up the best use things. of social media, you could always tell. The woman who on Facebook said, will you pray for me? That was, that was very revealing. But it's the kind of thing she would have done with any of you. <laughs> there is enough desperation in her heart. That's, that's like really good use of it. Yeah, good. Well, folks, um, there's two things left to do this afternoon, and they're very short. Uh, the first thing uh, I want to do is um, express uh, our appreciation to Ed and Sherry for, um, for being with us. Yep. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. You, uh, you got the opportunity today to bask in uh, the warm truth uh, of uh, God's Word and who God is. It came uh, from Ed. I got to do it all week, um, and it was wonderful. Um, so what I would like to do, if you wouldn't mind both of you coming up, I'd love to pray for them. Oh, thanks. Um, Thank you. And ask God's blessing upon them, actually. Uh, as a preacher, I know that when you, um, when you preach, you give something of yourself out, and um, you look to God to refill you. And uh, through other people and, and through spirit. So uh, I think uh, I'd love to just ask God's blessing. Thanks, you. Peter. Thank you so much. Got to pray for uh, Ed and Sherry as, as they uh, have a few days on the coast before uh, traveling home next week. We ask your blessing upon them. I pray that uh, you would, you'd recharge them, that you would uh, replace what they've poured out, and um, you just give them some really, really good rest. And I pray even next week that they'd have a few days just even to. Um, to, to bask in the Queensland sunshine uh, next week and, and know that, that is, even that is an expression of your kindness and your goodness toward them. So God, recharge them, keep them safe as they travel. Um, we just ask your blessing upon them in every way. Amen. Mm, thanks, brother. So before we finish, uh, I'd like to ask Ed just to pray for us. Is that okay? Oh. And then we're done. May the God of all comfort, may he, may he comfort you in a way that, that it really does overflow and, and you can give that comfort to others. May the God who, who very graciously reveals our hearts, places where we have turned from him, may he give you an enthusiasm for repentance and confession. May you see that this is, the very, this is the very goodness of God to you. May you, may you see that, that you have Father, Son, and Spirit who, who are working in you transformation so you will have the fullest of communion with the Holy God. May you taste that communion even today. In the name of Christ, amen.